You are listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church. We've been talking a lot as a church in our uh, prayer gathering and the family meeting we had in September just about our need to share the gospel. That that's really how we want Genesis to grow. We don't want Genesis to grow just through people coming from other churches in town uh, because we want other churches in town to be healthy too. We don't want to be the church like, well, we want to go to your church now. So we want Genesis to grow not through just people coming over from other churches, but people who are putting their faith in Jesus through your ministry in their lives, your prayers for them, your investment in them, your care for them. And the book of Acts helps us form some of the convictions on why that is, but also how we go about doing it. Uh, Remember we talked last week about how the book of Acts is a transitional book. It's showing us some things and it's bridging us from kind of where Jesus was in his earthly ministry to where we are now in the life of the church. And we haven't even started. Chapter 13 is when the missionary journey starts. So we're still really dealing with church life in a specific locale. But what's going on this week is pretty cool. uh, And I would also say peculiar. We don't, we don't see it a lot. We don't even know, sometimes when we read, we're like, how do, I, how do I actually live out what I see in these scriptures? So remember last week in chapter six, these seven servants were appointed. And we talked specifically about how there's no A team, no B team. There's, no, there's not like, well, the super Christians, they, that's Christians, super Christians get to go over here and do like real ministry. And then the subpar Christians get to go over here and hand out food. That's not how it works. And in fact, we see in chapter six, these people who are selected, the seven people, uh, are strong in the Lord. The first martyr is Stephen. That shows up in chapter seven. And then we follow the ministry of Philip in chapter eight. Uh, And so we're actually gonna do chapter eight today, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. If you wanna read a really long speech in chapter seven, please, you can catch us up and go there. So what's starting to happen, what you see is persecution is coming to the church We see the death of Stephen, and then you get into chapter eight, and Saul, and Saul's coming up in chapter nine as well, but he's approving of the execution, and all of the people in Jerusalem are being persecuted, and what that's actually doing is it's moving people out. So now, uh, through the persecution, there's a scattering of believers, and the gospel is starting to go out. In fact, in chapter nine, when we are seeing uh, Saul in Damascus, there's already a believer there. Ananias is already there, different Ananias from chapter five. Uh, Ananias is already there, and he is there to go, you know, Brother Saul, the Lord has brought me here to help you uh, restore your sight. And so in Damascus now we have believers there, and so the church is spreading, and one of the reasons and ways it's spreading is through persecution. That persecution actually doesn't stop anything, in fact, it often just spreads the message that is being persecuted. And so we see that in chapter eight, the first half, Philip is in Samaria. And I remember what Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem today, all Samaria to the ends of the earth. This is going out. And we see that in chapter eight with Philip in Samaria. And then as that happens, something happens in Philip's life where he is told to go to a peculiar place. Now, I don't know if you've ever been told to go to a peculiar place at a peculiar time where it doesn't really make a lot of sense. But one thing that churches love to talk about is being strategic, which I get. You have limited people, limited resources, limited time, limited energy, so you want to make strategic decisions, the best decisions that you know how to make. We want to do that in our family life. 
We wanna do that everywhere. So I get the desire to be strategic, but in fact, when it comes to the sharing of the gospel in chapter eight, God does something that doesn't seem strategic, at least in a human sense. It doesn't make a lot of sense. If you kind of weighed it, you go, well, this isn't, this isn't really where I should be spending my time, God. I should be spending my time somewhere else, and we'll see that right away. So we'll be in chapter eight. We're gonna start in verse 26. Chapter eight, starting in verse 26. So he is, Philip has just done ministry in Samaria, and now he is going out again. Verse 26, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. So it's gonna kind of head southwest. Go down from that road from Jerusalem to Gaza. This, Luke lets us know, is a desert place. And he, Philip, rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over, join his chariot. Philip ran to him, heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and asked, well, do you understand what you're reading? You understand this? The eunuch replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to slaughter, like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. That's a passage from Isaiah 53, the suffering servant about our Messiah. The eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself? Isaiah, is Isaiah talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? Well, Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, Isaiah 53, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up from the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But found himself at Azotus, and, he, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Now you'll find later uh, in the book of Acts that Philip hung out in Caesarea, and he's now known as Philip the Evangelist. Later in Acts, he's called Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven from chapter five, which is pretty cool. So Philip's ministry was starting at the serving of tables and the distribution of food, and then it moves to bringing the gospel into Samaria, and he's preaching to the Ethiopian eunuch, and then we find him later at the end of the book of Acts, and he is now Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. So he continues this preaching ministry uh, throughout the book of Acts. It's ongoing, though we don't really catch up with it until later. So we have this this interaction between Philip and this Ethiopian. Clearly, God was doing a work in the life of the Ethiopian eunuch, that he was already concerned about things of God, went to Jerusalem to worship, though because of his physical state, he could actually not fully engage in religious life in Jerusalem. But as he's on his way back, he's reading. The Spirit says, go and talk to this guy. And he says, what is he reading? He's reading Isaiah 53. Now, now, skeptics here, if you are one, go, this is just, this is like softball evangelism. This couldn't have really happened. Go here, and then all of a sudden, this guy's reading Isaiah 53. <clears throat> and, oh, who is this about? 
I mean, like, how many of you have had an interaction like that where you, you go to somebody like, are you reading Isaiah 53? And they're like, well, can somebody please explain this to me? I'm ready to learn. We usually don't have examples like this. It almost seems too good to be true, doesn't it? You kind of go, this is, this is not how it works. You're just like, I don't want to talk to you about your Jesus. I don't want to hear anything about it. Get away from me. I don't want to do this. But there are some things within this passage that I think are going to be important for us to remember. First, Jesus told us the gospel is going to go out. It's going to go to Jerusalem and it's going to go out. And this interaction with the Ethiopian eunuch is, is one place where we see the gospel going out because the assumption would then be he continues on, goes back. And now he is there and he has been converted and uh, we would hope and pray that through that work, the first church there begins. That the first church there begins. But we don't know that, but we would hope that. And we see the way that Philip is called into it, which is, again, a peculiar set of circumstances. From Samaria, the angel says, I need you to go down to a desert place. So there's this road, I need you to go down to the road, it's a desert place. And so Philip goes, and he sees someone, and that person's reading a scroll, and the spirit says, go up. I mean, this is like, again, too good to be true. Too easy evangelism, like softball, just throw them softballs, right, just go. But I think there's some things going on here that we need to be able to see for us and our sharing of faith and for our confidence in what God is doing and having people know about him. First is this, is that God can and often does call us into situations that on paper don't make much sense. That's the strategy part. If you're thinking, right, like just, just imagine, this is what church, church leaders do, like we have a map. And we put that map on the wall. And we're like, where are we gonna send people to go proclaim Jesus? No one's gone, you know what? I think that desert road on the way to Gaza needs to be like priority number one. I really think that that's the spot. And so they're gonna stick a pin right there on the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is not what they would do. They would go, well, we have a lot of people here and Jesus mentioned Samaria and he mentioned Judea, ends of the earth, we need some strategic spots there. So if they're going for strategy, what are they gonna do? They're gonna overlook the first thing that we see in verse 26, go toward the south to a road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. But God is calling him into it. And we should remember that if God is calling us into anything at any given time, he's gonna provide whatever is needed in that moment. He doesn't know what's going on. Philip's not like, okay, well, will you promise there's somebody there that I'm gonna talk to you about Jesus with? He doesn't ask for that. He hears the request and he goes the obedience that exists to do that, even if, even if it doesn't make sense. And you know, sometimes there are, there are, in our own hearts and lives, we would love to just always be on point. Like every decision a church makes is like, it's the killer decision, it's awesome. It all makes sense. Bigger, better, stronger, faster, everything. But when you do that and you train yourself to only think like that, what starts to happen? the road from Jerusalem to Gaza gets missed. We don't even think about it. Well, why on earth would God call us there? Look at all of these resources that we have and look at all of the stuff that we can do and look at all of these things. And yet God says to Philip, I want you to go there. I want you to go right there. And so he goes. Now, I would assume He's obedient, he knows what's going on, but there are times when God asks us to do something and we don't know the full picture, do we? I mean, you see right there in verse 27, and he rose and went. 
That's the, that's the fullness of the story that Philip at that moment realizes. I'm gonna go do the thing that God has asked me to do. And he rose and went. But what is more important, your perfect clarity on what's gonna happen or your obedience to what God is asking? Right? Obedience is never or rarely God giving us the full picture of what's gonna go, how it's gonna go. Oh, well you go do this and then 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 this. It doesn't work that way. So often obedience is just the next yes that you give to God. All right, I'll go do that. And then you get there and God's like, I need you to go do that. Like, okay, I'll go do that thing next. And so sometimes people ask me like, hey, what do you, you know, I, I use it as a, as a tool to think, but I really have no idea. Like, what are, you, what are you gonna be doing in five years? I'm like, I don't know. What are you gonna be doing? If, I hope I'm still alive. Like, I love my kids, love my family, but like five years from now, I don't, I don't know. I can use that to form conviction and work toward things, sure. But I really don't know. And Jesus tells us as much. Right? Don't trouble yourself about tomorrow, for today has enough of its concerns. And so we have to kind of walk this line between wisdom and conviction for what we believe God has called us into, and at the same time, faith. And that's where Philip is. Okay, I'll go to the desert road, to the desert place. And I'm not sure what's gonna be there, but the moment he's there, God shows him the next thing he has to say yes to. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. So there was somebody who was in a place of stature, status. Somebody who was entrusted with the treasury, the treasures of Candace. And this person, is coming back to Ethiopia, was coming from Jerusalem to worship. And at that point in time, you can imagine Philip going, okay, all right, you ever been in a place like, I don't know why I'm here. You've just followed somewhere in obedience, you go, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know why God wants me here, in this moment, in this place. And then all of a sudden you go, oh. And then so often, isn't it in our lives when we kind of look back and see why God did what he did and why he brought us through what he brought us through? And we go, oh, that's why. And so there is this eunuch. And he has come back from Jerusalem. So we know he's already interested in things of God. We know that there's something that God is doing in his heart in that moment and over time because now he's interested and he's reading the scriptures, reading Isaiah. And in that passage around Isaiah 53, there's discussion of eunuchs and how they will be restored. And so you might be able to see why this guy would be interested in the passage that he's reading. The Spirit says, go and join and asks a simple question, do you understand what you are reading? Now, I wanna pause here as we look at that interaction because we as believers must always remember that God is drawing people to himself. Luke 10, two, harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Jesus has told us, there are people who are going to, uh, who are interested in things of God. There are people that God is drawing to himself. What often does not exist are people who are going to go labor in the harvest field. People who are gonna live their own lives and do their own things rather than be invested in the ministry of the word of God. And so what we see here is something that Jesus has told us will happen. There are always people that God is drawing to himself, but they may not be the people that look like us. The Ethiopian, right? I mean, how many interactions does Philip have there? I don't know. 
and they may not talk like us, and they may not have the same experience, clearly not. As they're comparing resumes, they go, we are just from different places with different experiences and different things we value and hold to. All of those things aside, what is God doing? But he's drawing the Ethiopian to himself. And I think, you know, every single day, often because we are caught up in our own life, our own thoughts, our own ways, our own convictions, just doing the things that we think we need to do, we miss the people that God is drawing to himself. At the same time, we know that all those God is drawing to himself, right, that there'll be people there to, uh, to share the gospel with him and so, or with her, but what we have now, we're stuck in between this God's action and our responsibility, right? We see these things going on and we hold these two things in tension, that God is doing a work here and we wanna be attentive to it. That Philip hears the angel and he sees the, and feels the prompting of the spirit, go and talk. And Philip goes and talks and what does he do? Ask a question, do you understand what you're reading? God is always drawing people to himself but so often it is us who kind of check ourselves out of the game early. We go, man, I'm just busy. I have a lot going on. You know, I'll get to it. I'll, I'll share later. You know, I'm just, I'm just, I just have to kind of get through this season of whatever that season is. And my, this is what I've learned, and you probably learned it too. This season never stops. You're always busy. You're usually tired. You wish you had more money than you had, and you're never going to make enough. Like, like, all of these things continue. There's never this moment where you're like, okay, now I'm totally ready to listen to God. Like, I'm in, I'm just totally in. Whatever you need, God, I'm gonna, yeah, yeah, you tell me, and I'm, and I'm, I'm locked and I'm loaded. No, that's not where it comes. I mean, if you're Philip, Philip was in the middle of doing ministry in Samaria, and they had this weird encounter with Simon the magician, and then, uh, and then Peter shows up and tries to see what's going on as well, and then you, you might be like, okay, God's gonna do something right here, right now. And then what's God do? I need you on a desert road. Why, because God's doing something that Philip didn't know was happening. And this is a prayer that I often forget to pray, which is just, God, slow me down. Slow me down and make me aware of what you're doing around me. I don't think about that. I don't just stop. I mean, think of the personal attention that Philip had in that moment with the Ethiopian where he walks up and goes, do you know what you're reading? But what do we do? We're like, ooh, you know, that's, I don't want to. I don't want to be too pushy. I don't want to. I don't want to ask him. I mean, I might embarrass him, or whatever else. But if God is drawing people to Himself, then what does He have? He has His church, people filled by His Spirit, to step in and make sense of these worlds. And they may be people who don't look like us, weren't raised like us, don't talk like us, or maybe we should just flip it. We weren't raised like them. Not that ours is right or wrong or better or anything. It's just different. But we need the same gospel. And so, what are we to do? I think often we need to repent of just our own busyness. That if the Lord says to us, go here, we go, I have like 15 minutes. It's all I have. Or if we just stop and think, a few, like a month ago, six weeks ago, we wrote down the names of people in our lives who don't know Jesus. And what if you just stopped and took 10 minutes and prayed over those names 
and you're asking God, how would you like me to serve these people this week? How would you like me to care for them? How would you like me to, to extend your love and your grace to them? Do you think I'd be like, you know what, I would really prefer that they don't know you love them. I, would just, I just want you to just act like they don't even exist. That's not on God's heart. God wants people to know him. The, the, the more people that are worshiping him and glorifying him, the more his image is displayed in all of this world, the better. And so if we just slow our lives down and give attention to what God is already doing around us, we would be amazed. Amazed at the amount of ministry that there is to be done. But there's something about our response that we need to consider here. I mean, look at verses 29 to the end almost. Philip goes, the spirit says, go over, and Philip ran to him, and he hears him reading Isaiah, and he asks a question, do you know what you're reading? And so the first thing that we need to be able to do is to respond to the spirit. Respond to the spirit. Now this gets a little spooky, right? Like, how, do I, how, do I, how am I led by the spirit? Like, like, and, and, and we don't have a, a, a way to talk about it. So this is... This is Kind of 101, I hope. The Spirit inspired the Scriptures. So we let the Scriptures guide and inform us into what's going on. Now, that doesn't, so if you're reading that and you go, well, do the Scriptures, they say, hey, go talk to your neighbor today about that, right? There are these moments, particular moments, where you may or may not know, but in regards to how do I know what God is doing, He has given us His Word. And He has shown us how to live, and He's shown us what to care about. And if we are to avail ourselves to God, we really have to surrender ourselves to his scriptures so that we can live out what they say because what the scriptures are, are God going, there's a world, a way I want you to live and a way I want you to follow me and a way I want you to obey that you aren't doing. But if you just did, I promise this way is better. This believing is better. This hope is better. This heart is better. This compassion is better. Give up what you think is best and surrender to what I know is best. I created you. I created this world and everything that is in it. And so the response to the spirit, listening, engaging the scriptures, are we ready when the Lord says something? Because I think so often we're waiting for a liver quiver, right? We're kind of waiting for like, we have this moment, it's like, I need to go do that. But that's like, that's not how the Lord operates. It's not just some kind of funky feeling in your belly and you think you need to do it. Because what if you have that? Is it gonna override what you see in the scriptures? When I hear people tell me, I really believe that God wants me to get a divorce, I'm like, I don't know what you're reading. How, do you, how can you really believe that? How can you hold on to that? Let's talk about it, because I, I don't know where that's coming from. It's like, I'm just, I'm just convinced that this is what God wants, because God wants me happy. And I'm like, I don't, <laughs> I'm missing it. Right? If marriage makes you happy or singleness makes you happy, you're going to be disappointed because that's not where you find your joy. And so, so we have to let the scriptures guide us. We have to let them inform why we do what we do and how we do what we do and even when we do what we do. And will there be times when the, the God prompts us in a direction that he would like for us to go and it may not be like one-to-one in the scriptures? Absolutely. But here's what I would say. It would never be outside of the scriptures. You know, if you're talking to me, you're going, Hans, I really feel like I need to just go over to my neighbor and, and cook him dinner. I'm not going to be like, you know what? I don't think God wants you to do that. 
I'm going to say, go, and do you need me to help? Because any movement toward people in the name of the gospel is prompted by a spirit. I'm just convinced of it. Because there's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves that is good. And so if something comes to mind that is good and moves towards people in grace and compassion and mercy in the power of the Holy Spirit, then I'm for it. Every time, every time. And so respond to the Spirit, are you listening? And then he asks this question, do you know what you're reading? Now that's the one that can make us nervous. Because now I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I'm ready for that. I don't know if I'm ready to talk to somebody about the scriptures because honestly, one of the hardest things that we do is just to talk to people about the scriptures. How do you have a conversation about it? I'm reading this. And so this Ethiopian goes, yeah, I mean, I'm reading this passage in Isaiah 53, but how, how am I gonna understand what's going on unless there's somebody who can help me understand it? Folks, this is, this is discipleship. I mean, there's really no other disciple-making way than getting people around the scriptures and discussing them in a way that's accurate that leads towards us living it out more fully. That's how it works. And so when, when we have the unit going, help me understand what's going on, right? Brothers and sisters, like that's our role for people. Believers, unbelievers, to go to the word together and help us make sense of what we see in a way that makes us more like Jesus. Be it for us putting faith in him for the first time or be it for us growing in him for the 50th time, that is what he would have for us, but so often we are afraid to step into that role with people. Well, I'm no Bible expert, or I didn't go to seminary. I don't, listen, I can promise you no amount of seminary makes you feel like a Bible expert. Zero. I don't feel like I know anything. I'm like, uh, I don't know. Like somebody, people will talk to me like, well, huh, do you, you went to seminary, you should know this. I'm like, listen, I don't, I don't I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, you're using words I don't even get. I'm sure they're in a book somewhere that I have read. I'm sure there's something going on, but there's no amount of like, you don't level up. And then like, now I'm ready. So when Philip asked the question, do you know what you're reading? I wanna ask you this question, are you reading? Are you reading the scriptures regularly with a goal of understanding so that you can help other people know and understand the scriptures? I mean, if we're not regularly just engaging the word, and this is a corporate environment where we're doing that, and we have our community group environments where we should be doing that, we have our just personal devotions where we should be doing that, but if, if God's word is not a steady part of our conversation, what's gonna happen is we're gonna be afraid to ask the tough question. Do you know what you're reading? and feel any ability to actually help them. Now that doesn't mean you need every answer to every question, does it? Because sometimes you just go, you know what, I don't know, let's figure that out. That is a fine answer. But to be fearful to step into a conversation with people about his word, right? that doesn't come from the Lord. Because the spirit, what's the spirit wanna do? The spirit's ministry is a spotlight ministry. It shines light on Jesus. What do the scriptures do? They shine light on Jesus. And so if we're afraid to talk to about what they're reading or about what we're reading, what are we doing? We're removing opportunities to shine light on Jesus. And some of you community group leaders in the room, like, I, I feel for you. Because you get stuck in these moments where people are like, well, I think it means X. And you're just going, nope. <laughs> nope, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that at all. Like, and I don't even know how to, okay, now we've all heard it everyone here, and I'm gonna have to somehow kindly tell that person that they're, that's not right. But you have to step into that. Why? Because you want people to 
understand the word rightly. So some of you have really good tips and tricks. I don't have as many as you do, where you can kind of, you, you, you walk it back. Okay, well, let's look at that. And how could this make sense? And let's try to p- put these pieces together. But honestly, if you're looking for like a, a, a tool, just going to somebody and going, what are you reading? And putting it in context is gonna get you 85% of the way to any answer to any question. What do you see and what's going on? And let's kind of put it in what we're reading and let's figure out what we see. It's when you just kind of go, well, I'm reading verse 10. I don't get what verse 10 means at all. But what is Philip able to do in that moment? Oh, Isaiah 53, let me tell you about that servant. So read what we see here. He was reading this and the eunuch said, Whom is this, uh, who is this talking about? Verse 35, Philip opened his mouth and just underline this and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. You gonna give me Isaiah 53? Great, let's do Isaiah 53. You gonna give me Colossians chapter two? For us now, we have the New Testament? Great, let's use Colossians chapter two. You gonna give me Genesis chapter one? Let's do Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter 50? Let's do Genesis chapter 50, right? That, that's like, starting with this scripture, he began to tell him about Jesus. Well, there's a certain level of comfort in God's word that allows for that to be a certain ability just to trust the Spirit and what the Spirit inspired and have conversations with people from the Word about our Savior. But that's not gonna happen if we're not reading, not engaging, not studying, not learning more of God's Word. And it's not just for what my buddy calls bobblehead Christianity where we're just like, oh yeah, the Bible's great. I love the Bible. We're just kind of filling our head with Bible knowledge until it gets so big we can't hold it up. Our necks aren't strong enough. Like newborn babies, right? You're always afraid of that head. We are learning so we can share. The exercise is not just the learning, but the working it out. So at the end of the month, I go to this place in Little Rock and I teach, and I teach the book of Judges. They give me four hours to do the book of Judges. And so uh, I do it every year, book of Judges, four hours. I tweak it from year to year to see how it goes. And they say, they give me this parameter, which is great and I hate it. They say, we want you to teach the book of Judges in a way that allows for the people that you are, who are listening to also be able to teach the book of Judges. Like, well, you just took it, like, you just made it way harder on me. Because I, just delivering content is one thing, but delivering content in a way that allows them to have conversations about it, that's a totally different thing. Just, just let me teach them, right? Like, well, I just want to teach people. That doesn't work, right? Because our heads just swell up with information, but we have no idea how to actually use it. So from this passage, Isaiah 53, Philip is able to talk about Jesus. Not just learning to learn, but learning to share. Learning how to talk about the word. How to engage the scriptures in a way that helps us talk about it. And that's one of the most difficult things. So in my family, we are a a cookies on the lowest shelf family. Like we read a chapter or two, about five days a week, our kids do it, and we're just able to go, what did you read, what did you see? We read the same thing, and so we just have these simple conversations. Sometimes in my kids' books, they have little prompts like, talk to your dad or talk to your mom about why, you know, why this happens or why we like to do bad things, and we just have simple conversations about what we've read. Not PhD conversations about what we've read. Because the hardest conversation is the one you have with the unbeliever or the child because they see through all the bull that you're like trying to kind of paint around the picture. Like, I don't even know, who's this guy talking about? 
Like, that's the question. Who's this person talking about? I don't even know. Like, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And we're like, oh, well, if you read the exegesis of the this and that, you drop all these words, and they're like, you've lost me. What is the, what is the eunuch's question? Who is this? I don't even know who this is. We're like, oh, okay, so I don't need to give you, like, 15th grade information on Isaiah 53. You're just, you just want to know. Like, yeah, your kid's ever done that with you? Like, they ask a question, like, where do babies come from? And... And like, all they wanted to know was the hospital. But you're like, whew, okay, well, when a man and woman love each other, and you, like, you go into this thing, and they're like, so, hospital? Like, yeah, I guess I was, I was answering the wrong question. So often the questions people need answers are the simplest ones, and we want to provide like 15th grade answer, and that's not what we need to do. Simplest way to engage people in the scriptures, just to talk about them. Now, what starts to happen through this, he shares the good news with them, and then clearly, in this moment, or sometime as they're going, the Ethiopian has a conversion experience, places his faith in the Lord Jesus, which is awesome, praise God. Praise God. And so, Ethiopian places faith in the Lord Jesus, and they're talking now, and they can t- you can tell this conversation has gone on for some time, because now the eunuch wants to be baptized. Now this is, I just have to pause here because I, I have a kind of a, a church hat on. I don't think this is the normative way people get baptized. Just kind of walking around going, let's just get baptized now. Because anytime we talk about baptism, it's like, well, the eunuch got baptized on the way to wherever. I'm like, well, there is no local church anywhere. So my conviction is baptism is a part of the local church's habit of disciple making. And there are times when you're just in a spot where you're like, well, there's no church in Ethiopia because you're the first convert, and there's no church on, in Gaza, and there's no church on the road, and I don't know when God's gonna take me away, so let's go ahead. Like, I don't think that's an inauthentic baptism, but I would say the normative way that baptism has happened in the early church and, be, and, and onward is through the ministry of the local church. But we do see this person's desire to respond in obedience. And so are we listening to the Spirit? That's kind of one question. Are we able to hear the Spirit and respond? Are we engaging the Scriptures in a way that allows for us to have conversations on what's going on? That's kind of another way. But then there's this kind of, are we ready when people actually respond? Have you ever been the one, and and I've been this, where you're like, they're not going to believe, so I'll just share the gospel and move on. And then they do, and you're like, oh, wait a minute. I was, not, I was not ready for an extra step here. I was just ready to have the gospel-sharing conversation and this follow-up of, now what do I do? You kind of lost me. And so the eunuch goes, here's water. Why should I not be baptized right now? And what is Philip ready to do but to respond even to that? to respond even to that. Responding to the prompting of the Spirit, responding to the Ethiopian's engagement of the Scriptures, responding to the Ethiopian's faith and helping to affirm it and help him go on and go back to Ethiopia rejoicing that Philip is ready in all of those moments. All of those moments. May we be the same. May we do the same. Now, I love verse 40. So we read, but Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Now, I don't know if they're like, at where he got baptized, there was like a teleportation device, and then like, boom, gone. 
and now Philip is off somewhere else. If so, I want to get to heaven, and I want to talk to Philip and be like, so what was that like? Like, was it like Willy Wonka's kind of particle thing, and you went over and moved from one thing to another, teleportation? Like, what, what happened? But what happened is that when Philip was done being used by God in that moment, God goes, I have another task for you. I need you to go over here now. And so Philip goes. And then as he lands in Caesarea, we realize that that's the place where he has done the bulk of the next few decades of ministry, both in Caesarea and probably going around and preaching the gospel. So for us, we need to know, like we never really know what's next. That everyone in this room, I'm gonna say, or hopefully almost all of us, are responding to obedience, in obedience to God about this church family, this place, this time, what is it, 1127, like in this moment, we are responding to being here. But we don't know what's gonna happen come noon and where God may direct you or where God may direct me or what's gonna happen on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. And so every moment of obedience is for that moment. And that moment might last five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, or one day because we're never really sure what God is doing. Why? Because God is always working beyond what we see and beyond what we know. He's drawing that Ethiopian. And just imagine the interactions with the scriptures the Ethiopian had long before Philip showed up. To be interested in things of God enough that he would go to Jerusalem. And the work that had happened at that time and the stories that he had heard and the questions that he had had, like God had often never, often never, God seems to never use us in a way that ha- brings us from like point A to point Z with somebody. But we are just one person on what God is doing in the life of someone else. That could be here in this church. That could be with your kids. I mean, I know your parents would be like the ones that are there kneeling down with your kids to accept Jesus. And then all of a sudden, it's like your aunt or uncle. Why? Because that's what God did. Use aunt or uncle or cousin or friend or whatever to have that conversation in that moment. God is always using us in peculiar and particular moments with people to make them more like Jesus. He usually does not have us in the whole thing. And as you move on through the story and you think about, just, just, just imagine for a second what happens in the Ethiopian's life and the amount of people he was able to interact with and the influences that he had both in his life and he was for others. And Philip was just one. And you might be just one. You might be the person that goes to somebody even tomorrow and tells them that Jesus loves them and dies for them. That might be your sentence. Jesus loves you and died for you. And that might be the sentence that undoes somebody. Because you don't know what's going on in other spots. But if we're not ready, engaged, and looking for what God is doing, very often those moments pass because we're too caught up in our lives, in our flesh, and in our thoughts. But what we get to see here is that God is always drawing people and he's always using his church at the intersection of what he's doing and where we are. It always has another believer positioned. I mean, think about your own faith in Jesus. It involved people, time, space, and the right conversation at the right time. 
When I put my faith in Jesus and I realized, like, I just like, I need to change. I would not have thought that it was through an Assemblies of God pastor who was doing magic tricks. Not joking. Like, not, not like the spooky magic tricks, like bad magic tricks, sleight of hand stuff. But for whatever reason, when he was sharing at that place and at that time, something that he shared and a message that I had heard a million times made sense. Made sense. And I went, I need to change. And I did not even know what that fully meant. I need to change? Like, what do I need to change? But what is that statement? But kind of a statement of repentance. There are things about me that aren't right and they need to be different. But as a now young believer, I didn't know how to articulate that. Oh, I need to repent and be covered in the blood of Jesus. Like, you don't use those words. I said, I, I need to change. I didn't know that God would bring the intersection of certain people and their obedience and their phrases and their words to one moment on a Tuesday night that led to me realizing the greatness of the gospel. And you don't either. But what I believe and we believe for you, church, is that he has you in people's lives and in spaces for specific reasons to make people more like Jesus. He brings you to certain restaurants or coffee shops or flat tires so you can have conversations with people about Jesus. God does not make mistakes. And he even uses our weakness to make much of himself. And we should worship him for that, glorify him and enjoy him for that. As we get into next week's sermon, and I'm super excited about it, we get Saul's conversion. Another odd conversion story that can remind us of the goodness of God in saving sinners. As the gospel goes out, the great commission has been given, and we can see the hand of God in the lives of men and women. Let's pray for that. Fathers, we continue this morning and think about Acts chapter eight and what you have done and how you appointed and what you were stirring, Lord. May we never forget that you're always drawing people to yourself, that you're using your scriptures, that you're using your church, that you're using us to step into the gap in people's lives and point them to Jesus. I pray, God, that we are ready as a church, both corporately and individually, that the things you call us into, we are ready. That we listen and respond, that we engage, that we are joyful, that we can talk about your scriptures in such a way that allow uh, for your spirit to move and for transformation to take place. For God, we trust you. And we know that you're doing work beyond what we could ever anticipate, God. But might you open our eyes to the ways you are drawing people to yourself that we could see and respond to the people that you are drawing to yourself and have conversations that are redemptive and that glorify Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen.